Thank you for downloading this episode of our podcast. Hi, and welcome to the podcast for Solomon Staircase Masonic Lodge number 357, where we talk about all things related with Freemasonry, including hermetic teachings, philosophy, reason, spirituality, and much more. We're located in Buena Park, Southern California. Tune in as we continue to update our podcast with informative talks and articles for Masons worldwide and those who would like to inquire within. The following article is from the November 2015 Southern California Research Lodge Fraternal Review. Past Masters When a brother comes to the point at which he lays aside responsibility of the mastership of a lodge, steps down from his rulership, and is added to the role of past masters, he begins a period where he can leisurely view the position of master from a new angle. Previous to becoming an installed master, he was merely the aspirant for the office, but having occupied the position of master and being now relieved of its anxieties, he reflects on the position and surveys the range of its influence in a way he never could before. He then discovers that it is invested with traditions and powers far in excess of what he had previously conceived, and that the unqualified obedience, loyalty, and unfailing respect shown him and the special privileges extended to him during his rulership were due to the position rather than to its occupant. Thus, having completed his term as master and passed the insignia on his exalted position onto his successor, he is now numbered with the past masters of the lodge, a kind of unofficial bodyguard, with no specified duties assigned to him, and yet with the understanding that he must hold himself in readiness to answer any call for assistance that may reach his ears. The extent to which past masters count depends very largely on their personality and character, and whether by counsel, good leadership, and efficient administration, they have won confidence and esteem. Having themselves occupied the master's chair, it is incumbent on them to uphold and support the present master, and to do all in their power to radiate a healthy influence and inspire the rank and file of the lodge with the spirit of goodwill. Their past experience as masters and their accumulated Masonic knowledge should make them invaluable to the lodge. Past masters largely determine the character, spirit, and success of a lodge, and its influence will depend much on their experience and considered judgment. Happy is the lodge, which has a united band of loyal and devoted past masters. And this article is from Masonic Information for Stated Meetings, Volume 1, page 16, by Jack Levitt, Grand Master of California and Hawaii, 1986. The following article is from the June 1999 Scottish Rite Journal of Freemasonry, Southern Jurisdiction, USA. The Old Past Master, Understanding, by Carl H. Claudy, 33rd Degree. A classic Masonic writing offers insights for every age. I've been a Mason for a year now, remarked the young brother to the Old Past Master. While I find a great deal in Masonry to enjoy, and like the fellows and all that, I'm more or less in the dark as to what good Masonry really is in the world. I don't mean I can't appreciate its charity or its fellowship, but it seems to me that I don't get much out of it. I can't really see why it has any function outside of the relationship we enjoy in the Lodge and the charitable acts we do. I think I could win an argument about you, smiled the past master. An argument about me? Yes. You say you have been a Master Mason for a year. I think I could prove to the satisfaction of a jury of your peers, who would not need to be Master Masons, that while you are a Lodge member in good standing, you are not a Master Mason. I don't think I quite understand, puzzled the young Mason. I was quite surely initiated, passed, and raised. I have my certificate and my good standing card. I attend lodge regularly. I do what work I am assigned. 
If that isn't being a Master Mason, what is? You have the body, but not the spirit, retorted the old past master. You eat the husks and disregard the kernel. You know the ritual and fail to understand its meaning. You carry the documents, but for you, they attest but an empty form. You do not understand the first underlying principle which makes masonry the great force she is. And yet, in spite of it, you enjoy her blessings, which is one of her miracles. A man may love and profit by what he does not comprehend. I just don't understand you at all. I am sure I'm a good mason. No man is a good mason who thinks the fraternity has no function beyond pleasant association in the lodge and charity. There are thousands of masons who seldom see the inside of a lodge and therefore miss the fellowship. There are thousands who never need or support her charity and so never come in contact with one of its many features. Yet these may take freely and largely from the treasure house, which is masonry. Masonry, my young friend, is an opportunity. It gives a man a chance to do and to be, among the world of men, something he otherwise could not attain. No man kneels at the altar of masonry and rises again the same man. At the altar, something is taken from him never to return, his feelings of living for himself alone. Be he ever so selfish, ever so centered, ever so much an individualist, at the altar he leaves behind him some of the dross of his purely profane makeup. No man kneels at the altar of masonry and rises the same man, because, in the place where the dross and selfish were, is put a little of the most divine spark which men may see. Where was the self-interest is put an interest in others. Where was the egotism is put love for one's fellow man. You say that the fraternity has no function. Man, the fraternity performs the greatest function of any institution at work among men and that it provides a common meeting ground where all of us, be our creed, our social position, our wealth, our ideas, our station in life, what they may be, may meet and understand one another. What caused the Civil War? Failure of one people to understand another and an inequality of men which this country could not endure. What caused the Great War? Class hatred. What is the greatest leveler of class in the world? Masonry. Where is the only place in which a capitalist and laborer, socialist and democrat, fundamentalist and modernist, Jew and Gentile, sophisticated and simple alike, meet and forget their differences? In a Masonic Lodge. Through the influence of Masonry, Masonry which opens her portals to men because they are men, not because they are wealthy or wise or foolish or great or small, but because they seek the brotherhood which only she can give. Masonry has no function? Why, son, the function of charity, great as it is, is the least of the things Masonry does. The fellowship in the lodge, beautiful as it is, is at best not much more than one can get in any good club, association, or organization. These are the beauties of Masonry, but they are also the beauties of other organizations. The great fundamental beauty of Masonry is all her own. She, and only she, stretches a kindly and loving hand around the world, uniting millions in a bond too strong for breaking. Time has demonstrated that Masonry is too strong for war, too strong for hate, too strong for jealousy and fear. The worst of men have used the strongest of means and have but pushed Masonry to one side for the moment. Not all of their efforts have broken her, or ever will. Masonry gives us all a chance to do and to be, to do a little, however humble the part, in making the world better, to be a little larger, a little fuller in our lives, a little nearer to the great architect of the universe. And unless a man understands this, believes it, takes it to his heart, and lives it in his daily life, and strives to show it forth to others in his every act, unless he live and love and labor in his masonry, I say he is no master mason. 
I, though he belong to all rights and carry all cards, though he be hung as a Christmas tree with jewels and pins, though he be an officer in all bodies, but the man who has it in his heart and sees in masonry the chance to be in reality what he has sworn he would be, a brother to his fellow masons, is a master mason though he be raised but tonight, belongs to nobody but his blue lodge, and be too poor to buy and wear a single pin. The young brother, looking down, unfastened the emblem from his coat lapel and handed it to the old past master. Of course you are right, he said lowly. Here's my pin. Don't give it back to me until you think I am worthy to wear it. The old past master smiled. I think you had better put it back on now, he answered gently. None are more fit to wear the square encompasses than those who know themselves unworthy, for they are those who strive to be real masons. Life After the East by Right Worshipful Richard S. Morley and this article is from the November 2015 Southern California Research Lodge Fraternal Review. Anyone who has served in the East of any Masonic Lodge has a special feeling of satisfaction and pride in his accomplishments in that office. It is only natural that he will also have a feeling of regret that he was not able to accomplish everything he had hoped during his term. He will also have second thoughts on how he handled some situations. But what about life after the East? What happens then? That depends on the individual and his attitude. There are some who relinquish the gavel with great reluctance, and there are some who never seem to give it up. And yes, there are some, unfortunately, more than we would like, who walk away from the job and never appear to look back and seldom come back. We need to keep our past masters involved in our lodges. In many cases, our past masters are referred to as the backbone of the lodge. In many lodges, the past masters sit close to the east, where they have been compared to buzzards sitting on a fence. It seems they want to be near the master so that they can see and hear everything that is going on, and of course, they are willing, ready, and able to assist, prompt, or correct the master. Unfortunately, I've seen too many lodges that have only a few past masters involved in the lodge, or none at all. We need to get these past masters re-involved in lodge. They once led the lodge, now they need to help, aid, and assist the seated master. A wise master recognizes the talents of the past masters and puts them to good use. They can serve as a sounding board for the programs and activities a master is considering. He can pick their brains for ideas and count on the past masters to give him the wisdom of their experience. With the title of past master, you are accorded the accolade of worshipful, indicating that you are an honored and respected brother. It is a reputation which you must continually strive to uphold. Okay, our third and final article in this episode is also from the Southern California Research Lodge Fraternal Review, November 2015, and is actually a reprint of the Short Talk Bulletin, Where Have All the Past Masters Gone? by Edward D. Potter, Jr. A recent worshipful master used the illustration of standing on the shoulders of masters who had gone before him. He spoke of dedicated brothers who served as models, mentors, and guides to walk with him during his year in the East and beyond. He felt the weight of the collar of leadership. Within the lodge, his year was considered very successful. But within a momentary flash, he was a past master. He asks himself, so what now? He sees the next new master struggling and thinks, well, at least he's paying his dues just like I did. No one offered me any insight to maintain the tenants or continuity for the good of the lodge. Past masters can provide invaluable support to all who they previously challenged at their state of meetings, conferred degrees upon, and strove to provide educational and transformational programs. 
A look at the past master's pyramid may provide insight that is not often discussed within the lodge. It appears that without proper support, the pyramid or the lodge may topple or falter. On the surface, one might say that the key to this support is having all the progressive officer chairs filled with competent brothers. That was easy enough to say in the post-World War II era, but today these chairs may or may not be filled with brothers who are willing and interested in moving to the East. There's an assumption that if one is shown what to do several times, everything will be okay in the ritual, business of the lodge, funeral services, etc. We all know that it takes much more than this. It takes lots of practice with all officers participating. Elected and appointed officers need a guiding hand, both collectively and individually. Each individual officer's chair should have an active chair mentor, a position that could be filled by a past master. The past masters would not only provide expertise in dialogue, floor work, and duties, but also could form a bond with officers and possibly renew their own commitment to the lodge. One past master of a lodge was witnessed focusing on a newly raised master mason who was sitting in the Percivant's chair for the first time. His lips moved as the Percivant spoke and the gray head nodded as the young man moved. The occasional frown was the past master's awareness of something not right. After the Percivant informed the Tyler that the lodge was closed and the meeting ended, up sprang this past master with hand extended towards his charge and congratulated him on a job well done, followed by some well-phrased corrections to improve the ritual for the next state of meeting. The chair mentor is one who keeps abreast of ritual changes and officer requirements of the Grand Lodge by attending the School of Instruction and Lodge Practices. In the unfortunate incidents of an officer deciding not to continue in the progressive chairs, an active PAX master can step in and keep the line strong and moving east. Decisions should be framed by first asking whether it will benefit the Lodge and the Brethren. The natural officer progression allows a brother time to acclimate to ritual, business, degrees, and his fellow officers. With this new role of the chair mentor, jumping would become rare because the past master would provide the type of leadership to help guide his charge's movements through the officer's chairs. Our past masters are one of the greatest resources a lodge can have. You don't have to ask about their loyalty and desire to see the lodge prosper. They went through the chairs and answered the call to the east. Many past masters have died, father time is weighing others down, and the four winds have scattered others. But within your lodge is a core of past masters. The call from the Lodge is being sent forth again. Come, past masters, help us by lending your time and talents in reviving the Lodge to become a Lodge men will want to join. Your participation will help put the muscle into an already flexed arm poised to support the Lodge by providing 1. Better ritual, 2. Retention of officers in their chairs, 3. Increased membership, 4. Continuity through planning, and 5. Coordination of actions. From the lodge room full of brothers in the 1950s and 1960s, with a line of brethren waiting to start in the chairs and move to the east, to the lodge room today, with more empty chairs on the sidelines than filled with members, the lodge room can look a little anemic. We need our past masters to provide the leadership and oversee the structure of the officer line as never before. Brother, can you lend a helping hand? Edward D. Potter Jr. is serving as the 2015 Worshipful Master of Red Lion Lodge No. 649 in Red Lion, Pennsylvania. A former educator, he is active in a variety of York Rite, Scottish Rite, and Masonic Research organizations. So this article is from the December 1999 Scottish Rite Journal of Freemasonry. And I really enjoyed this article, and it made me kind of think back on some of the Masons that I know and have known that have laid down their working tools so with that, let's dive into the article called Tell Us, Past Master by Bobby J. Demet, 33rd Degree. 
Deeply moved by the beauty of masonry, some newly made masons asked the old past master to tell them more about the Masonic apron. And the elder man replied, Masonry regards no man for the clothes he wears, the house in which he lives, the kind of car he drives, or the other luxuries he owns or uses. All masons are equal when in the lodge room, and all are clothed in the same manner. The apron is the only raiment we see. Masons stand before God equal to one another, and the apron is the sign of equality. In ancient times, the aprons were manufactured from the skins of lambs, animals deemed to be pure and without taint. Thus, the wearer of the apron assumes the characteristics, virtues, purity, and innocence typified by the lamb. Masons wear two aprons, one visible and one invisible. The visible one is a symbolic gift from the lodge to the mason. It is made of worldly material and is subject to decay and destruction. The invisible apron is the gift of God to every man who would assume the responsibilities and obligations which entitle him to wear it. This apron is eternal, not subject to decay or destruction. Man sees only the visible, God sees both, and he holds him accountable who wears the honored badge of this Masonic Lodge. The young Masons then said, tell us more about the square. The old past master replied, the operative Masons used the square to determine if the rough ashlar were trimmed into a block of 90 degrees on all corners and thus fit for the builder's use. The perfect ashlar is always formed from a rough ashlar by removing excess material, never by adding to it. The rough ashlar always contains a perfect ashlar, and the stone is tested many times by the square to determine if it is fit for the builder's use. In masonry, the rough ashlar is symbolic of the man who enters the lodge for the first time, and the perfect ashlar is symbolic of the master mason. In a moral sense, the square is a symbol of morality, truth, justice, and righteousness. Man should refrain from doing to others what he would not have others do to him. This is called the principle of acting on the square, and has been a rule of guidance for men since long before the time of Christ. Every person has a tri-square of his own. It's called a conscience. We use this to measure our thoughts, words, and deeds as to whether they are true or false. The extent to which this test is applied to himself in regard to his relations with his fellows measures the extent to which each man's life will be stable, honest, true, and happy. The young masons then said, tell us more of the level and the plumb. The old past master said, now the square is the tool to be used in the making of a perfect ashlar, but the plumb and level are concerned with the use of the perfect ashlar in order to construct a wall which is straight and strong. As stones are hewed into perfect ashlars and placed in the building wall in a level and vertical manner, men are divested of their coarse habits and sinful manners, thus building a better life for the entire group through their common effort. Each man is tested by his own plumb line, his own conscience, in order for him to fit properly into the whole. Because no two men have the same talents, abilities, or characteristics, no two men can use the same device to measure their fitness. Then the young mason said, Please, past master, be more specific. We understand how to use the working tools to improve ourselves, but we are not clear as to how we can serve our fellow man in a society which is so indifferent to the needs of others. And the old past master said, This is your challenge. Your brothers are confident that you are of a high moral character, and you know that you are now a part of a great temple of masonry. Masonically, you have re reached manhood. Do your duty. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a comment. 
We enjoy hearing from our listeners. If you really like what you heard, share this podcast with your friends and lodge members. Visit us online at solomonstaircase.org.